electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Happy New Year. We've left 2021 behind, but not everyone is ready for takeoff. The latest on massive airline delays with CNBC's Phil LeBeau. COVID-19 hitting the ability for the airlines to staff the flights that are scheduled. And you also have storms in different parts of the country. Tesla sets a new record for car deliveries, but Elon is still Elon. I mean, this guy tweets about his poops and boobs. <laughs> the Musk persona with the man writing about it, Walter Isaacson. This notion of returning to space and moving into a sustainable energy future are the two large things happening now, and those are both being driven by Elon Musk. Plus, new year, new you. But COVID concerns at the gym? Planet Fitness CEO says your healthy resolution is more important than ever. Fitness is truly essential. I mean, the last thing we probably should have ever done is shut down a gym. It's one of the ways to fight the virus if you get it, right? Or build your immune system. It's Monday, January 3rd, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue it, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to 2022. This is Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Mike Santoli. Joe is off today, but welcome, gentlemen. It's good to see both of you. Happy, happy new year to both of happy you. New for year. the first time, for, for the first real time that we can say that in the new year. That right, is. for the first so. trading day of the new year, at least. We're going to start, in fact, with a recap of the markets from 2021 after the major indices turned in their third positive year in a row. And these were not minor advances. The Dow was actually up by 18.7 percent. The S&P 500 was up by almost 27 percent. And the Nasdaq was up by 21.4 percent. Mike's been looking into some of the key trends that investors are likely to face as we come off a banner year for stocks. And the biggest question always is, Mike, can we repeat a year like this? Or because we just had such a great year, is that not a great sign for this one? You know, a great year, 25 percent plus. We got around 27 percent for the S&P 500. Uh, yes, they're usually followed by an up year, but typically not quite as strong. So if you want to take the average it could be double digits, but maybe not quite as strong. I think the significant thing, too, is we're coming off three very strong years, three 15 percent plus uh, annual return years. The S&P's doubled off the 2018 low in December. Now, here's where we sit. Uh, the pre-market uh, indication is that we'll get up toward the all-time highs, which is just under 4,800 on a closing basis right here. Trend, obviously, relatively strong no matter what. Uh, NASDAQ looking to actually be very strong this morning. Tesla helping that out. It's been a divergence story, though, depending on where you look in the world uh, in the last year. Take a look at the S&P 500 compared to the European equity markets as well as the emerging markets. Uh, you see Europe actually held up OK, kind of some value stocks come back, uh, better nominal growth in Europe, actually did a little bit better than the Dow Industrials. The emerging markets ETF uh, struggled and it really just looks very much like the chart of China or Asia more broadly. So that's kind of the story when it comes to emerging markets. Big question, you know, are they is it just cheap? Cheap uh, or cheap for good reason. So for 
the Santa Claus last week rally or whatever it was, yeah. all the major averages were up. I guess the Nasdaq was flat last week. Then you've got the first trading day of the new year. What are all the... Okay, yeah. so here's how this shakes out. Um, <laughs> that Santa Claus rally period, which is seen as a bit of a bellwether of how the year might go, or at least January might go. Uh, last Monday's one point, I guess it's 1.8% gain, whatever it was, uh, gave you a cushion. Last week was solidly higher. So it's if today and tomorrow... Uh, leave the market up over the last seven trading days, which would be last week plus the two days, then you have kind of a green light for that rally indicator. Okay, so here we go. The surge in COVID cases, boy, does it continue with more cases up now, more than 200% in the last two weeks alone. Meg Terrell joins us with the latest. Meg, uh, I was on vacation. I was out of the country last week and I flew into Newark. And I thought to myself, I am flying into the center of the storm all over again. Yeah, you talked about the numbers being amazing. I mean, these are just incredible, Andrew. When you look at the case numbers, we've surpassed 400,000 on the daily average in the U.S. now. And we've got that Omicron signature spike straight up. Uh, but while cases are just unbelievable, and that's likely a drastic undercount because A, there's not enough testing, and B, a lot of people are getting rapid tests and it's very difficult, if not impossible, to report those to state health departments. The hospitalization and death curves are not the same. And this is also a signature we've been seeing with Omicron. So there's about 12,000 people going into the hospital every day uh, right now in the U.S., about 100,000 total currently hospitalized. Uh, that, of course, is going up, and you can see that, but it's not going up at the rate that cases are. Deaths have remained about 1,200 per day, so really steady right now. There is, of course, a warning, though, that with this many cases, hospitals still could become overwhelmed. Experts have been looking to South Africa and to the UK in particular as signs of what might be to come in the United States. We have seen South Africa's cases go up there at a peak higher than they saw for their Delta wave, but come down really rapidly uh, over a course of four to six weeks. And deaths there have not followed anywhere close to the level we saw with the Delta peak in South Africa. So there are reasons for optimism, but Folks like Dr. Fauci still warning the healthcare system could come under a tremendous strain and already really is. Meanwhile, of course, we look at cases not just because of cases themselves, but because this affects the economy. A lot of folks are out. You guys were talking about all the flights that were canceled. Uh, Dr. Fauci was talking yesterday on the Sunday shows about that new guidance from the CDC, five-day isolation time. It got a lot of pushback because there was no testing at the end of it. He said that might change. You're right, there has been some concern about why we don't ask people at that five-day period to get tested. That is something that is now under consideration. The CDC is very well aware that there has been some pushback about that. Looking at it again, there may be an option in that, that testing could be a part of that. And I think we're going to be hearing more about that in the next day or so from the CDC. He said the same thing on CNN. So we could be hearing about a change potentially to this five-day guidance, which would affect a lot of folks, guys. So we'll be listening really closely to hear about that. Right. Back over to you. Meg, Meg in, in terms of what you're hearing from behind the scenes on what the CDC may or may not do and their own credibility on this, look, it's, it's a great thing. If they turn around and say, look, they, they made a mistake, you give, give them some credit for, for, for actually acknowledging the mistake. But at the same time, the question is how they would have made the mistake the first, in the first place and how much of it was pushed, frankly, by industry. 
Well, that's an interesting question, Andrew, and I don't have any reporting on how much was pushed by industry. Typically, you know, we've seen a lot of criticism of the CDC for what appears to be changing course. But in the past, there has always been science behind that, you know, with the mask guidance, for example. They put that mask guidance in place when we had Alpha as the variant. When Delta came along, things changed and we saw that there could be spread among vaccinated people. This is a different situation where they just put out this guidance. There was tremendous public health pushback and now they're changing course. It's not clear that the science changed, so it's not clear why right. this this but, industry but, guidance but Meg, or this that's guidance the, came that's out. the question. You know, they, they've been cautious throughout, and some people have argued too cautious in some cases. Here was a situation where they went the opposite direction, and the scientific community was not on their side almost from the get-go. And I'm trying to understand how that happened. Obviously, the airlines uh, were very uh, public in terms of their perspective, which was they were saying. Five days is what they were asking for. Then, of course, you had Delta talking about testing out and, and, and the like. And then you had people in the healthcare community saying there's not going to be enough employees. But how much of this do we think was based in science? Do we have any kind of reporting behind the scenes about how they, they even came to the decision the first time around? Well, from what they've said, uh, there was science behind it that the vast majority of transmission does happen within the first five days of symptoms or, or at least of infection. Um, but of course, we've just seen so much information about people showing that they have positive rapid tests beyond five days. So there's just a lot of concern about this. Right. I think what the CDC has communicated is they're trying to balance uh, the keeping the economy right. running and keeping healthcare workers in their jobs, et cetera. Um, with right. the science, but do you there believe, was just so do you much believe the back. testing issue, though, uh, the resource issue? Because one of the things was the CDC pushed back on the idea that there's not enough rapid tests out there. One of the main problems is even if you're at day five and you don't have access to a, a quick rapid test, you know, that, that just makes testing out that much harder. And how much of the decision really might have actually been driven by that? And if they change the, the, their position, how people are actually going to get access to those rapid tests. Because I sit on, on Walmart.com, like everybody else, trying to get a Binex test, and they don't exist. Yeah, and I think the price might have gone up. That's a key problem and probably something the CDC took into consideration. There aren't easy answers here, um, but it's just so interesting to see after only a few days of this guidance being out that it potentially being changed. It didn't sound like it was necessarily set in stone that it was going to now require testing. It seemed like there was going to be some acknowledgement that testing could be a part of this. So we're really going to have to see where it actually ends up. Hey, Meg, I, this has all played out so quickly and has added so much confusion to what's happening. I mean, the CDC does realize that businesses, schools, all kinds of other places build their decisions around what the CDC says. It's a big, you know, the CDC is the CYA. If you're not doing what they're saying, then you are taking a risk. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think there's a lot of confusion among schools and school nurses and administrators and folks, you know, sending their kids back right now trying to figure out, is it 10 days? Is it going to be five days? Are we testing? So there's just a lot of confusion and, and schools and industries are all looking to the CDC for this guidance. Um, but there was such public health pushback to this. It sounds like there might be a change, but a change as everybody now is gearing up to go back into society after the holidays. So uh, we expect to potentially hear about it soon. Okay. Meg Terrell, thank you for helping us uh, try to make sense of stuff that doesn't seem to always make sense. Get an update right now on the travel nightmare in the United States. The airlines have canceled more than 15,000 flights since Christmas Eve, including an additional 5,300 just over this past weekend. 
The carriers blamed a rise in COVID infection among the crews, as well as a winter storm that forced hundreds of cancellation at Chicago's two main airports on Saturday. And there's no end in sight. Already this morning, more than 1,700 flights in the United States have been canceled, according to Flight Aware. Of course, it's only 6.10 in the morning, so things could get a lot worse. But guys watching this, um, there's just about nowhere I want to go badly enough to deal with the potential for getting stuck in some of these snarls, uh, being stranded somewhere, sitting in the airport for forever, watching through the lines that they've been dealing with. This is a pretty horrible situation. And I, I've got plans for spring break. I still plan on going, but I was literally timing it out, trying to figure out how long it would take me to drive. The answer is 19 and a half hours. And I still am thinking I might drive rather than be at risk of st getting stuck in a situation where you can't get there, you can't get back, and you spend all this time in the airport. I mean, I think we're all hoping this thing moves quickly enough and, and, and peaks in a dramatic enough way that maybe by spring this will all be, uh, be in the rear view, let's hope. Phil LeBeau joining us now with the latest Phil. It's like a tote board, Andrew. We keep seeing the cancellations go up throughout the day, and they likely will continue rising today. I think it's already over 1,800 flights that have been canceled. Here's the issue. You've got a combination of COVID-19 hitting the ability for the airlines to staff the flights that are scheduled, and you also have storms in different parts of the country. Here in Chicago, we had a storm over the weekend. It impacted flights at both the Midway and O'Hare Airport. So you've got airlines in a position now where they've got to do things like United, where it is offering triple, triple pay to its pilots to pick up extra flights in the month of January. And then you've got JetBlue. This is an airline where the CEO, Robin uh, Hayes, has been very forthright in saying, look, and when it comes to COVID-19, it has impacted our ability to staff. They have now cut back their schedule by uh, more than 1,200 flights through January 13th. The bottom line is this, guys. I think what we're going to see is a very rough January and a Q1, which is, remember, that's the trough for the airlines. That's typically where they don't see much leisure business. They do typically see corporate business, but that's been shot because of what's happening uh, with COVID-19 and the uh, coronavirus surge. So as a result, I think what we're going to see, while there is some demand for leisure travel, it's going to come back considerably. Don't be surprised if you see the analysts lower their expectations for the first quarter. That could happen here in the next couple of weeks. Hey, Phil, policy question. Now, weather is weather. You can't do much about it. That I appreciate. Right. But when it comes to when it comes to having enough employees uh, ready and, and, and willing to work, and, and look, the variant yep. uh, is, is putting people uh, in a very difficult position. But the question, after all that we've talked about, bailouts and more over the past 24 months, is whether these airlines were positioned, whether they actually did what they said they were going to do when they took that bailout money, which was to try to not only keep people employed, but to be in a position to have their airlines up and running, to have the economy humming. And clearly, right. we're in a position, take the weather piece out of it, we're, we're right. not there. You, okay, Andrew, you, you're right that we're not there. You've got a couple of things that are going on. First of all, when the payroll support program was put in place, that money went straight to the employees. It did not go to the airlines. So th that was a guarantee that those employees stay on the payroll. And that was through what was it, uh, the end of 2020, essentially. And after that, Congress said, we're not doing this anymore. And what did you have in the beginning of 2021 and the first half of 2021? You had airlines cutting their staff dramatically in order to prevent a complete collapse. 
And as a result, you had a number of pilots and flight attendants and others who took bailout or who took buyout packages, early retirement. They left. Now you've got a smaller staff. Then as you started ramping up, they were not prepared for this surge of the COVID variant. There's no excuse for that. But at the same time, the money that was sent from Congress to the payroll support program, that ended at the end of 2020. So in 2021, they had to cut their staffs. And now, yes, they are adding back staff, but it's been a whiplash. And you just can't snap your fingers, Andrew, and have the staffing that you need. You just can't do that. There's no way, especially when you've got pilots who've got to go through certification. You've got to make sure that you have enough of a certain type of pilot for a certain type of aircraft. Uh, And then you've got the maintenance crews and then you've got the flight attendants. Uh, I think we're realizing just how fragile that entire system is. And we're seeing it come to roost right now in terms of the COVID cancellations as well as weather in the wintertime. Right. Uh, Look, my admiration, uh, I have huge admiration for those pilots and and for those working uh, through this. I was just on a flight last night and uh, you could you could see how hard a job it is and and, and what they're doing to to keep everything afloat. Having said that, clearly the argument around a specific bailout for that specific industry was that they were going to be in a different position than they are today. I recognize the issues you're talking about. You're right uh, about that. Uh, you're, you're, you're right about that. It's a debate, I'm sure, Phil, we'll, we'll continue. we got to run. Next on Squawk Pod, the man writing the Elon Musk biography, a legend himself, Walter Isaacson. The sustainably powered, multi-planetary world Musk is building. I think five years from now, it'll be kind of odd if people say, I'm going to go buy a gasoline-powered car. Right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stand Becky by. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. Tesla posting a record number of deliveries in the fourth quarter. The company said yesterday that this was the case. And by the way, that caps a pretty impressive 2021 for Elon Musk. Other feats include becoming the world's richest person and person of the year honors, both from the Financial Times and from Time magazine. Joining us right now is someone who used to help pick the person of the year as former Time editor. Walter Isaacson is a history professor at Tulane University. He's also advisor partner at Perella Weinberg Partners and CNBC contributor. And by the way, he's a very close Musk watcher because he's writing a biography about him, too. And uh, Walter, 2021 was quite a year. What do you expect in 2022? One of the things I expect is we'll see even more movement with solar roofs, battery packs, also with Starlink satellites. I mean, this is something... 
uh, where Elon Musk has his hand in so many different fields. I know after the uh, recent storms we had in New Orleans, we figured, hey, we got to decentralize our electricity grid. People want solar roofs. They want battery packs. They want Starlink satellite dishes so they can get off uh, sort of the cable monopoly. So I think these things are going to go along. And of course, he's leading our transition into the world of electric vehicles. You know, Walter, you used to be one of the people who picked time person of the year. And mm -hmm. you can certainly make the case for Elon. I mean, this is a, a man who can move financial markets with a few flicks of his finger by tweeting something. He is kind of the person who has helped supplant Boeing for the race into the future for the for space when you're looking at SpaceX. The things he's done with Tesla, becoming the world's richest person last year. Um, it, it, there's a great argument for it. Would you have picked him as person of the year? Oh, of course. And I think there are even larger arguments, which is he has two great missions. One is to create sustainable energy, both through electric cars and uh, solar roofs and uh, batteries. And the second is to make uh, humans a multi-planetary species to get us into space. I mean, it's been more than 10 years since the shuttle was shut down and we, didn't, we weren't able to send Americans into space. He was able to do that over the past year. So I think this notion of returning to space and moving into a sustainable energy future are the two large things happening now, and those are both being driven by Elon Musk. So 2022 really could be a better year for him, you think? <laughs> it's hard to think it'd be much better. I mean, he delivered almost a million <laughs> vehicles this year. Uh, as you say, he became person of the year for anybody picking person of the year. Uh, and. Uh, he certainly has been able to get uh, his Falcon 9 rockets to just regularly deploy satellites and then to return to Earth and land so that they're reusable. What will make 2022 a huge year for him is when he gets the Starship uh, that he's building in Boca, Raton, uh, Boca Chica, Texas, that Starship um, uh, rocket will be, able, will be the biggest rocket ever built. And it'll be able to deploy large amounts of satellites. It'll be part of our getting to the moon and getting to Mars. And as soon as the FAA, which has been holding up approval of the launch, as soon as the FAA gets out of the way, you'll see in February or March the launch of this amazing rocket ship. Hey, Walter, I, I have to admit, I, I like Musk and I am blown away by the things he's accomplished. But he is a bit of an acquired taste. I, I mean, he <laughs> says things that you can't believe. He tweets things and, and attacks people, oftentimes people who have attacked him first. I give him that. But the things that he says and that he jokes about, it's like, wow, I can't believe this is uh, all things that are coming from one and the same person. How do you kind of reconcile <laughs> like, who he is, hey. all his different personas, and do you love him because of it or in spite of it? Look, you take a person as a whole, I mean, a person in full, and I've written about Steve Jobs, I've written about Elon Musk, many other people. As Elon Musk says of himself, hey, I'm leading the transition into electric vehicles, I'm reinventing the car, and I'm sending humans into space. What, you also expect me to be some chill, nice dude as well? I mean, obviously, <laughs> he's uh, an interesting guy. And that makes him a really interesting biography subject. But if he weren't that way, and this is a big question, if he weren't obsessively driven, staying up night after night, including like Christmas Eve or whatever, worrying about the details of the Raptor engine he wants to put on Starship, or the details of the full self-drive system that he's starting to roll out, if he weren't that obsessed, he wouldn't be having all of this impact. 
So yeah, he's not a chill dude. But obsessed is one thing, chill is one thing. I mean, this guy tweets about his poops and boobs. <laughs> I, I just don't even know how to reconcile it. Well, you know, that's what makes him interesting. And yeah, he has a sort of quirky, sometimes sophomoric sense of humor. But it's good to have somebody with a sense of humor because he's really deploying it for a certain passion. You know, you always think, I mean, you look at Ted Turner, you look at Steve Jobs, you look at people who have really made a dent in the universe. They often have uh, a strong personality. Colorful characters, for sure. Um, in terms of kind of looking at any obstacles he might f face this year, one of the things we were watching so closely in the Build Back Better plan um, that you know looks like it's on ice at this moment, um, but there were lots of incentives for other electric vehicle companies, the uh, unionized electric vehicle companies that weren't going to go to Elon Musk's Tesla and weren't going to go to Toyota. Um, this was kind of like the big three that were going to be prioritized over other companies. Um, it's on ice for the moment, but it could come back. Would, would that pose a huge threat if it were to come to fruition? Well, I think it's a good idea to get us all transitioned to the electric vehicle uh, future. And I think five years from now, it'll be kind of odd if people say, I'm going to go buy a gasoline-powered car. I think that uh, juggling these incentives, I mean, Elon Musk thinks it's ridiculous. Just don't do that. Don't pass the bill. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the Biden administration would like to put in incentives for union-built cars, but also cars built in the United States. And Tesla cars are the ones that are most built in the United States. I mean, GM is not making electric vehicles, despite what Biden said about GM leading the way. I mean, that was ridiculous. Ford makes a lot of them in Mexico. The, the Teslas are the ones that are most built in the United States. Right. Hey, Walter, how do you assess the risk uh, for Tesla in China? You know, uniquely, you've covered now Apple and Steve mm -hmm. Jobs, Elon Musk, uh, both of whom have made major investments, if you will, in, in China, both as a uh, supply chain uh, place, at least for Apple, that is, and also from a consumer perspective, lots of questions about China, especially this year. We have the Olympics coming up. There's going to be a lot of, of pressure and news headlines about what's happening there. Yeah, I think China is tricky for every uh, company in America. I think one thing Tesla did is it avoided some of the supply chain issues. When you can sell almost a million cars this year in the middle of a supply chain crisis, that's because Tesla doesn't outsource all of its components and, you know, have it them made in China and then imported here. Tesla tries to do as much as possible in-house. It got over uh, the microchip shortage issue that way. And yes, it's going to have to do a delegate dance to continue to sell to consumers uh, in China. And I think even things like f uh, full self-drive or autopilot, where it gathers information, those will be areas of contention with the Chinese. But uh, I think in some ways he's less exposed. He's about to open a huge factory right next to Berlin and an even bigger factory uh, right next to Austin, Texas. And uh, so I think he's going to be very well protected. Hey, Walter, um, thanks for your time today. It's always great to see you. Uh, when, when is the biography going to come out? When can we expect to see it? I don't it? know. It'll be in a year or two or so. I don't know. Uh, there's so much information. It's so fascinating. Uh, I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose because this is the most <laughs> interesting topics of our time with one of the most interesting uh, dudes of our time.
Yeah, and it's hard to imagine a cutoff date because as soon as you cut things <laughs> off and say this is it, there's going to be something new that happens the next day. Um, I know. It's well, a there's huge a, task. something to be said for new additions. Yeah, there, there you go. And, and by the way, I know entirely why he chose you for this. I mean, you're the best. Hey, thank you, Becky, and Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year to you, too. Cheese will be next. Up next, New Year's resolutions in the time of Omicron. Planet Fitness's CEO says consumers are still heading back to the gym this January. During the Delta variant and the Omicron one, we're not seeing members slowing to come in. We're not seeing joints slowing. We're not seeing cancellations rising. Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Mike Santoli. Joe's off today. It's January, traditionally the time of year for gyms to shine as Americans get going on resolutions to be healthier. But the beginning of this year for fitness comes in the midst of a coronavirus surge. Diana Olick joins us now with the stock angle on, uh, on the fitness trend. Hi, Diana. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Omicron may be causing a pullback in travel, entertainment and the return to office yet again. But perhaps not the return to the gym. That's at least why some analysts are still bullish on the brick and mortar sector and less so on the stay at home fitness names. Now, Peloton was downgraded to market perform from outperform late last week by JMP Securities, with analysts citing declining website traffic and page views. Shares of Peloton were down over 75 percent last year after being a darling in the first year of the pandemic. Another home name not doing so well, Beachbody. It was recently downgraded by several analysts after disappointing earnings and reduced guidance. Demand for home fitness equipment has slowed, but sales were still up 20% year over year through last August, not the 108% growth seen since 2019, and that all according to NPD Group. Now, consumers started heading back to the gym last year, and that's why names like Lifetime Holdings, Exponential, and Planet Fitness were in the green in December, with Planet Fitness up nearly 17% last year. Gym visits in October were only down 8% from October 2019. That's pre-pandemic, according to Jeffries. 
Analyst Randy Connick there told me last week he does not expect Omicron to hamper his prediction of record new memberships in the first quarter with average unit volumes exceeding 2019 peaks. He points to unusual membership growth in the second and third quarters of last year. Historically, those are the weaker quarters. So seeing that surge or early on really bodes well for this year. Back to you guys. Yeah, gym visits down only 8% uh, since pre-pandemic. Very uh, eye-opening, Diana. Thank you very much. Joining us right now to talk about the fitness business in the midst of this latest coronavirus spike is Chris uh, Rondu. He's the Planet Fitness CEO. Good morning to you. Um, I'm, I was just saying before, I, I may try to go sugar-free this month. I know a lot of people are, are going to maybe cut out the drinking and other. We'll see. We'll see what really happens. But, but what I'd ask is actually whether you think people are going to show up in gyms this month, given the spike that we're seeing around the country. Yeah, thank you, Andrew, for having me on. I, I couldn't be more pleased with the... Uh, the traction we have as a business. And we saw some great, great momentum last year, which Randy mentioned at the Jeffries that, you know, we saw second and third quarter growth that we had never seen before. Um, and once the vaccines got out there because at the end of the first quarter, we really saw that trajectory take off. And in the member workouts are, are just slightly down from last, from 2019. And the other thing too, is that um, the people that are working out are actually working out more than we've seen in the past. Um, in the rejoins, 40% of our members joining are first-time gym members, so they're not afraid of, of coming into the gym. And the in uh, our rejoins are highest we've ever seen. 30% of our joins are rejoins, so they're choosing bricks and mortar at a faster rate than we've ever seen. It's been really great. Okay, so but what are you doing right now? Given given the variant that's out there, you have businesses, Goldman Sachs, and other companies telling their employees, please don't come to the office because this thing gets transmitted in the air. That's how this happens. So unless you're going to stand on a tread or run on a treadmill with a mask on, um, it doesn't seem to be such a great idea to be indoors right now with other people. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we saw member traffic. If you call, recall uh, summer of 2020 when we saw um, the spiking of the variant, uh, the spiking of COVID back then, before there was even a vaccine, we did see a pullback on joins and workouts and cancellations spiking. During the Delta variant and the Omicron one, we're not seeing that pullback. We're not seeing members slowing to come in. We're not seeing joints slowing. We're not seeing cancellations rising. I think they're feeling more comfortable with, with, with protocols that we put in place. I think they're realizing that fitness is truly essential. I mean, the last thing we probably should have ever done is shut down gyms, right? It's, it's one of the ways to fight, you know, fight the virus if you get it, right? Or build your immune system. And now with mental health where we see it, which is, which is really horrific, you know, it helps depression, helps with anxiety, helps you sleep better. And it's really what happens on the inside, not the outside that's really most important, what people are going to realize. And you'll feel better after your very first workout. And, and I'm really excited to announce today that um, the, uh, we're the first fitness brand to achieve the well health safety rating. Um, the International Well-Building Institute focuses on like restaurants and, and office buildings and other hotels and stuff. We're the first fitness brand that went through their uh, third-party inspection and that we achieved our sales. So when you see the sale outside, people can feel comfortable going inside air quality, clean the standards, the right chemicals to use, and taking care of our employees equally as important as the members themselves. So um, I'm hoping this is a great, uh, great stamp of approval right. here that people see in our doors. Chris, but are you doing things regionally uh, in different ways? I mean, look, Delta was one thing, and if you were vaccinated against Delta, uh, your, your chances of getting Delta were relatively low. Um, this variant is a completely different animal indoors. And so, you know, I understand you're saying that there are more people inside and, and it seems to still be going to the gym. The question is, is that a good idea? I'm a big believer in working out. I'm a big believer in gyms uh, when you can do it safely. But it's it's hard to understand what exactly you're doing inside these gyms that could make them safe enough, given this variant. Yeah, it's a good question. So I think one thing to keep in mind, too, is these gyms are fairly large. They're 20,000 square feet 
open sailing. So you're not stuck in a small yoga studio with spinning state, right? All wide open and uh, also selfless check-in. So you're not really uh, handing your key tag over to the front desk, social distancing within our facilities. And regionally, certain states have different protocols, right? We have about 400 state uh, 400 clubs today out of the 2,200 that have some sort of mask mandate or, or vaccine, vaccination requirement as well. So um, we just follow local guidelines and, and the traffic and people are, are happy with that. What are you doing in terms of uh, studio classes? We don't have them in our clubs, believe it or not. We're just big open concept. A lot of cardiovascular equipment, uh, well spaced out, circuit training equipment, nice locker rooms. But we don't get into the small studios, closed spaces in our facilities. And, and what's your take longer term on the likes of Peloton and the, the whole sort of move during this pandemic to working out from home? Yeah, I, I say what I think about the whole pandemic is what people have now realized, you know, we've, no one everybody knows they should work out, right? Let's face it, right? We've been told for decades. Unfortunately, it took it took the variant of Delta and it took Omicron and now COVID-19 originally. But people have realized we all should have been listening. The fact that it, only 20% of the U.S. population even has a gym membership, that's half the issue right there. And 70% of the U.S. adults are overweight or obese going into pandemic. And over 40% of adults during pandemic gained an average of 29 pounds. And when you see the hospitalizations, those are the people who are mostly ending up in the hospital. So tides are going to rise with, you know, boats are going to rise with tides because even home fitness. But the difference is, is we're seeing that once gyms were allowed to open, us and others, people dropped their home fitness and went back to the gym. You know, so that's really the prospect. Everybody will benefit because there's a fitness boom going on right now. And I think we'll go for many years. But bricks and mortar is where they're going back to, which is great. Uh, Chris, we want to thank you. And I got to ask, just is, is this, you look jacked, you look ripped. So do you make resolution? Is there a resolution that you make? I mean, for those of us who aren't, we, we try to, we, we tell ourselves we're going to do certain things, but do you, do you tell yourself something? Uh, I worked out my local plan of fitness this morning and it was busy. And I loved it. And uh, I have a great gym in my basement, but I choose bricks and mortar. Uh, it's uh, five o'clock in my in morning in my basement. It's not a very exciting, honestly. Uh, but the sugar thing, I think I might try that. I've never really done that, but <laughs> I tried that sugar thing this month as well. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, well, happy new year. Looking forward to uh, following uh, everything that happens this year. You bet. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. I will not be joining you in the no sugar month. Sorry. Like it too much. Thanks for checking out our very first Squawk Pod of 2022. We have another great year planned, bringing you the very best of Squawk Box and all the extras. So please tell us what you want to hear on Squawk Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Listen anytime when you follow and download Squawk Pod on your favorite podcast app. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.